Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the Scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton. This week we're studying sections 41 through 44 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And before we dive in, I want to um, share a thought that has come uh, kind of about our study last week, but I think that spans or that bridges uh, our some of our previous studies, this study today, and then some of our upcoming studies. So I had a, a colleague of mine that um, shared this idea recently that in the tabernacle, the physical structure of the tabernacle was symbolic of a progression towards God. You had the outer court of the tabernacle and the temple in Jerusalem into which anyone could come. And as you move closer and closer to the Holy of Holies, the laws became more and more uh, strict. And so the outer court was meant to prepare you for moving into the inside of the temple or inside the tabernacle into the holy place. And then being in that holy place, you did things that helped you progress into the holy of holies, um, which is represented the presence of God. And what he remarked was that God moves people physically often to teach them spiritual truths. And so here you have a micro example of him moving them through the tabernacle to teach them, you know, in the outer court you do this, there's sacrificing, there's washing in the inner court, there's the table of showbread and there's the menorah and there's the, the altar of incense. And then in the Holy of Holies, there's the mercy seat. But he also does it in bigger scales. You think of uh, him moving Moses and the children of Israel from Egypt where they uh, couldn't practice their religion and were surrounded by idolatry. He moves them into the wilderness which wasn't their eventual resting place, but it was a place where they could be prepared and learn some of the basic uh, laws that God had for them in preparation for being given and living in the promised land. Well, in church history, it seems like the Lord does the same thing. In New York, the church is in kind of a preparatory state. They're learning principles of faith and repentance. You look at the early sections in the Doctrine and Covenants, and it's a lot about repentance. Then they move to Kirtland, and in Kirtland, we enter the proverbial holy place where we're going to build the temple. We're going to learn more and see more and experience more about God. But Kirtland wasn't the end place either. Almost from the moment they get there, there's this quest or this desire to find Zion. Uh, and it'll be revealed later on that Zion for them was going to be in Missouri. And it was going to be a place where they could build a new Jerusalem, a new city, have a new promised land that was theirs, uh, where they would build a temple and be able to truly experience life, this covenant life with God that they were building. And of course, they didn't get to experience that fully because of the mobs, and the persecution and everything. But um, that symbolism helped me to frame the early sections of Doctrine and Covenants, the ones we're currently studying, and then the ones that we will be studying coming up. And so I really like that perspective. It's really interesting to think of it in that way, because I think we can think of it in a physical sense, but also in a spiritual or mental state, I guess. Because um, I'm sure you've experienced something similar. I know we have as we've, I think back at times that I've physically moved somewhere else where I feel it becomes a whole new learning process. You're learning different things and being in a new environment 
helps you see God in different ways or helps you see yourself in different ways. And so you're preparing essentially to learn new things from God. And I think you, I've also experienced that in, um, kind of that progression of maybe of covenants or of my own mental spaces of feeling prepared and ready to receive something new as I mature and look back and see where I've come. So I really think that's a cool principle to think of all of those different ways in which, um, God prepares us maybe through the movement of, of our life of aging or of those physical places that he uses. Well, that's a great way to frame it as we think about these sections this week in a very personal way. A uh, little bit of background. Well, <laughs> a little bit of humorous introduction and then a little bit of background. So uh, I haven't showed you, Krista, yet these. I told you about them, but I haven't showed you. So I have, you know, pictures worth a thousand words, so I hope I don't use a thousand words to describe these pictures. But I am often interested when I see, maybe you've seen them too, these either videos or pictures of people doing something wrong or doing something the wrong way. You know, pictures of someone in a gym using an exercise machine in a completely wrong way. And um, it's, maybe I think it's funny because I've done some of those things myself. But... um, I have a, a bunch of pictures here of people doing things or ideas of think people doing things the wrong way, and I wanted to show them to you. So uh, that I can laugh so and make that, everyone sad that they don't see the pictures. That's it. That's Is that it. what so you're doing? So they can feel left out, yeah. Got it. Got so it. here's the first one. It's a picture of someone holding a steering wheel with their hands to the side. Can you tell what's wrong with this picture? Uh, no. I can't. <laughs> Read the notes underneath. <laughs> No, I really can't. Well, you're supposed to hold your steering wheel at 10 and 2. Oh. And this person is holding the steering wheel at 9 and 3, which is not appropriate. Wow, that is a funny one. <laughs> the only reason I didn't think it a funny is in not funny. I, I didn't notice anything because I'm like, well, that's how I drive. I rest my hands <laughs> on, the, on the little things on the steering wheel. <laughs> this one was kind of cool. So there, that little hole in a pot in the handle, which, you know, maybe you can hang the pot up. But supposedly that's to put your ladle in so that it can hover above the pot, drip into the pot, but you don't have to rest on the counter or something. I don't know if that's just a life hack or if that's really the way it was meant to be. Genius. I know. know. (laughs) Here's one that I've given to our kids. Um, Did you know that uh, monkeys eat bananas the opposite way that we do? We peel it from the top, from that stem. But you can actually peel a, st- a banana from the bottom, and then you have a nice little convenient handle to hold on to. Everyone is going to leave this episode so happy to have all these new life hacks. Did you know that the Tic Tac dispenser has a little tiny oval on the lid that is meant to hold one Tic Tac? And instead of trying to tap it out into your hand and guess and hope you only get one, or you can tip it upside down, open the lid, and one Tic Tac will fit very conveniently inside the lid. <laughs> How about that, yeah? Or Monopoly. You know, there's no such thing as the money in the middle of the board. That's not in the rules. The free parking, you know, it's not in the rules. So you're saying we're doing it wrong. We're, we're doing, doing it, it wrong. But that one's, I knew that one. That's just a house rule. That Here's the, the ultimate game more one. Uh, I have here, this one is one I wish I could show everyone. But I have here the official patent picture for the toilet paper roll. We might need to put this one in show notes because this is a very <laughs> important one. And it does show that the roll is supposed to be... Or the toilet paper is supposed to be hung with the paper on the outside, not on the inside. So I would just in... like everyone to know that I had to teach Zach this one. <laughs> this is a very obvious one. If it makes it so much roller, you're doing it easier. Wrong. 
This gives you a small peek into your personality. I hope you know that. Yes. That well, you would, I like to do things you, right. No, that you would want to show everyone these. You're like, <laughs> wow, this is this is just what I need. <laughs> well. But they are very cool. The like idea it. is when the saints get to Kirtland, what's happened in Kirtland is uh, some of the Oliver Cowdery and those that we read in sections 30 through 36 that were sent west on missions, they get to Ohio and they uh, there's a lot of people that are interested. Sidney Rigdon and his Campbellite congregation, Edward Partridge, uh, the Morley family, uh, which they're called the family, and they, uh, they've been practicing this kind of uh, New Testament, all things in common living. All of those people believe Oliver Cowdery and the missionaries, and they join the church. But then Oliver leaves and continues west. Sidney Rigdon, Edward Partridge leave and head back to New York. And so these believers are left without any kind of leadership. And in that absence, things get kind of weird. Um, this is John Whitmer describing what he saw when he got there. He says, The enemy of all righteousness had made them think that an angel of God appeared to them and showed them writings on the outside cover of the Bible and on parchment which flew through the air and on the back of their hands, and many such foolish and vain things. Others lost their strength, and some slid on the floor in such like maneuvers, which proved greatly the injury of their cause. Uh, Whitmer concluded that it was necessary that this people should have instruction and learn to discern between the things of God and the works of Satan. In other words, they've experienced this spiritual outpouring, and they've converted uh, to some of these teachings but they don't yet have the instruction, the rules, and the laws that prepare them and instruct them how to move forward. No one sent them the patent for the toilet paper. No one sent them the patent for the toilet paper. (laughs) So section 41 is received the day that Joseph gets to Kirtland. Section 42 comes briefly after that as he gathers together some of the early church elders and asks together, they ask some really important questions, um, such as, Are we supposed to be gathered in one place or are we supposed to be spread out? Um, Does the church function based on this spontaneous outpouring of spiritual gifts or are there rules and guidelines? And to each one of these questions, the Lord reveals answers in section 42, which was uh, called then and is still called today, the law. Together with the articles and the covenants, section 20, Section 42 served as kind of this governing foundational document for the church. And so in verse 2, the Lord says, Hearken and hear and obey the law which I shall give unto you. And then in verse 93, which actually comes a couple of days later, uh, he instructs that thus shall ye conduct in all things. So just like these early church members who were asking themselves the question, all of these questions. How do we do this? What is the order? What should we be working on? Like those questions Zach just asked. And the Lord revealed these answers, what he wanted them to be doing. I think we today can look at at these sections in the same way and help find answers to what we should be doing. What's next? Am I obeying what I need to be obeying in God's, in God's laws? Um, we've kind of come through this past year in almost as if we're kind of recreating what our church and our spiritual life looks like as we've gone our own journey. Right? Yeah, we've been on our own journey through through the pandemic and all of these changes that we've had. And as we um, come to ask a similar question, I think we can learn a lot from this study as we ask ourselves, 
Am I obeying God's laws? Today, we're going to go through some of these that stuck out to us, but there's probably going to be a lot in here that you will find personally for yourself that maybe you need to work on, or maybe that just catch your eye or your heart that can help you answer the question, am I obeying God's law? In fact, we're going to do something kind of fun. You can do your own version of this, but we thought, what if we were very presumptuous and created our own Ten Commandments based on section 42, things that resonated with us. Now, there are so many different commandments in here that might resonate with you, but these were ones that stood out to us. And so we're gonna be kind of brief, but uh, just to give an example of some of the things that God instructs in section, section 42, 43, that might help us. Our own Ten Commandments. You knew I was going to do it. (laughs) We've been sending Hamilton memes to each other all week long, so we had to find a way to work it in. I had to find a way. That's all I'm going to do, though. I will not sing anymore (laughs) as we get into our study today and talk about some of the ones that stuck out to some of the laws in Section 42 that stood out to us. So, number one, the in the earliest manuscripts of section 42 of this revelation, it wasn't section 42, but in this revelation, uh, John Whitmer prefaced the revelation by writing this question. Shall the church come together into one place or continue in separate establishments? Um, we might have a very similar question, I think, today is, uh, as you mentioned, are we supposed to be gathering again in person or are we going to keep this kind of separate at-home church thing? And I love the answer the Lord gives. Verse 3, I say, as you have assembled yourselves together according to the commandment wherewith I have commanded you and are agreed as touching this one thing, then in verse 4, I give you this commandment that you shall go forth in my name. In other words, commandment 1 is to gather. Commandment 2 is then to go forth. And I like that pattern. that We are to gather together, to strengthen each other, to learn from each other, to worship together, to share in community and then we are to go forth and serve and teach and, uh, and help. It's that idea of, of learning and gaining strength together and then going forth about our work or about our, yeah. our separate journeys, right? It's important. We're going to need that in the coming days. There's a reason why we gather together. As convenient as, as home church is, there is a power behind gathering together. The second one that I found is somewhat similar. The second... Uh, section in these that John Whitmer kind of subdivided as he was writing the revelation. He didn't put a question with this one, but one of the prevalent questions of the time, as I mentioned before, was, uh, is the church to be led by this kind of outpouring of spontaneous spiritual experiences, as many churches of the day were, or is the church to be led by rules and law and government, as, again, some other churches were? And the Lord, very similar to the first answer, gives kind of both answers. Uh, Verse 11, he talks about no one should be allowed to preach unless he is ordained by someone who has authority. In other words, there is order and authority in the church. Section 43 talks about Mrs. Hubble, who starts to um, proclaim revelations for the church. And that was one of the big questions. Can anyone receive revelation for the church? And the answer is, no, there is an order and there's authority to go along with that. However, then in verse 14, the spirit shall be given unto you by the prayer of faith. That order and that authority brings spiritual power, which enables us to continue God's work. Um, As one 
brief side note example of this, I hear people say a lot, well, I obey the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Uh, the spirit of the law and the letter of the law are not in contradiction of each other. In fact, the spirit of the law is often an expansion of the letter of the law. As an example, the word of wisdom sells out, spells out some specific things we should not do. That's the letter of the law. But if we understand the spirit of the law, or if we have the spirit as we read the law, the spirit's going to expand that list. And we might believe, or we might sense that there are some things we need to do for our spiritual and physical health that aren't directly listed in section 89, but that are beneficial for us as the spirit directs us. That's how order and authority can invite spiritual expansion. I've always understood that as well, that as we obey and as we listen to some of those, adhere to those things, like I think the word of wisdom is a good example, that we're obeying something maybe more generally, but as we seek the Spirit for our own personal revelation, it adds upon that, that we feel something for us personally doesn't necessarily apply to someone else, but the Spirit has taught us that this is where we go from from the basics. Yeah, And I guess that actually kind of goes along with the next one, number three, that I that stuck out to me was really just the basics. Um, if we're talking about the Ten Commandments, we, you will certainly recognize Starting in verse 18, thou shalt not kill. Verse 20, thou shalt not steal, do not lie, um, don't speak evil of your neighbor. All of those very basic commandments that I think are just important reminders. Sometimes we need those very basic reminders. And as we obey those basic things, it prepares us to learn and grow further. And I like this one. I think you reminded me of it. I was wondering what's the the one about your neighbor. You shall not oh, bear false witness, bear false against, witness your against your neighbor. Um, and I like the way that it's worded here in verse 27. Thou shalt not speak evil of thy neighbor, nor do him any harm. And I like this. I think this gives it a maybe just a fresh new way to think of it. But don't speak evil of people even in your mind and in your heart. Just letting yourself be clean of worrying about what other people are doing too much. Very basic, but also very difficult. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. To treat people that way. And number four comes in the verse right after those, which is probably needed because of that neighbor one. Mm -hmm. Speak <laughs> kindly of your neighbor. Um, is repenting. And that word shows up a few times I think that that's a necessary one to remind us that you're not going to be perfect at these things, but that's okay because you can repent and you can change and you can try again. And I think that's a reminder that we always need because we can't talk about growth and moving forward and change without repentance. It's necessary as we kind of shake off the old and embrace the new, the new place or the new person that you become as you learn to obey what God's wanting you to do. That's an important commandment. One of the more significant commandments or laws that comes in section 42 uh, comes in verse 30. One of the big questions that they had on their minds was, as missionaries leave, as these husbands and fathers leave to proclaim the gospel, 
there's a question about how we take care of their families when they're gone and they're not uh, earning money or taking care of their families. How do we take care of their families? And just how do we take care of those that are struggling? And so in verse 30, behold, thou wilt remember the poor, which is has always been a commandment, but there's a specific way to do it now, this higher way to remember the poor. And that is to consecrate of thy properties for their support. Now, uh, the believers in Ohio were doing something that they thought was along those lines. They called it common stock. And basically, everything belongs to everybody. They all lived on the Morley farm. Everyone owned everything, which uh, meant that if you walk up to someone and they're wearing a scarf that you like, it's your scarf as much as it's their scarf. And it happens sometimes where someone would walk up and just take you know, take your scarf or take your shoes or take something that belonged to you because it actually didn't belong to you, it belonged to everybody. And so this very important clarification comes about exactly what it means to consecrate. And it doesn't mean to put everything into a giant pot and then to divvy things out to, to, to those that don't have. There's a very specific way that it's to happen. And the Lord spells it out. Verse 31, you lay your gifts, your, your uh, blessings your substance before the bishop. Verse 32, this one's important. You are given back a stewardship, which functionally a lot of times was exactly the thing that you already own, but it's deeded to you as a stewardship, meaning God owns it, but he wants you to be a steward over that property, that land, or that amount of money that you have. And then verse 33, anything that is above and beyond your needs and your family's needs, is held in store for those that are struggling. And all of this is done, as he says in verse 36, for the salvation of my people. Now, this law of consecration has looked very different to different people, different church members at different times. Uh, it is an erroneous belief that we do not practice the law of consecration today. We do. We may not do it in the same way, but we very much do. When we come to the church, we covenant to lay before the bishop or before our leaders, before each other, our substance to covenant with God that we give it to him. He gives us specific stewardships, assignments, callings, ministries, and then with our excess, we help and we assist the poor. We absolutely live the law of consecration today, and it started here. And I think an important part of all of this consecration, whether it was then or even today, is just these verses here, verse 40, that talks about um, letting go of pride in your heart and not being idle, that those can be important parts of making sure that you're doing your part and that you're doing it from the right place. Yeah. Two more quick ones that I find connected to that. Uh, in verse 43, not only are we taking care of the poor, but we're taking care of the sick. And I like the specific way that we do it there, that we take care of them with all tenderness. Um, I also like in verse 45, the commandment to live together in love, to which the law of consecration, I think, uh, is a means to that end so that we can be unified and be together as a people that love and care for each other. Well, I like the way that those 
kind of work into part of this consecration or this way of that we show love to our neighbors, taking care of the sickness of body, of physical wellness, and then that live together in love, it talks about weeping with them. And that reminds me of that baptismal covenant to mourn with those that mourn, that we're taking care of their their mental and emotional well-being as well. And now we're already coming to number eight of the 10 commandments that we found in these verses. Um, And verse 48 is where I want to start. It says, And again it shall come to pass that he that hath faith in me to be healed and is not appointed unto death shall be healed. And he who hath faith to see shall see. He who hath faith to hear shall hear. The lame who hath faith to leap shall leap. I think that's again an emphasis on the importance of that very basic commandment to don't forget your faith and put your faith into things that's going to allow us to push forward. And I love that we had that reminder from our prophet in last gen- in a couple weeks ago, talking about the power of faith and remembering that that little mustard seed of faith can make a difference, that we have the power to move mountains as we put our faith in something. Um, or even specifically faith in someone, right? Verse 48, he that hath faith in me that trusts me, I will help him be healed. I will help him see. I will help him hear. I will help him leap. We trust in the Lord who then blesses us with the things that we uh, stand in need of. Yeah, that turns our mountains into something that we feel like we can conquer. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, And then tied to that faith, number nine, is the idea of asking. Um, Verse 61, you know me, you're probably used to me talking about these kind of verses, but I just love these type of things. Um, If thou shalt ask. If thou shalt ask, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation, knowledge upon knowledge, that thou mayest know that the mysteries and peaceable things, that which bringeth joy, that with which bringeth life eternal. I think that's an important commandment that God reminds us of over and over again in the scriptures, that if you ask, you will receive something, and that we can continually be given this blessing. And it's a commandment to ask ask and you will be given the things that you need. Well, if I can end with number 10, um, this is in verse 69. The original revelation actually ended in verse 73. And there's a couple of questions that were asked where the answers aren't included in our doctrine and covenants. Starting in section 74, this section of section 42 was received two weeks later when they asked some additional questions. So I want to look at what I think is one of the last ones that comes in this original revelation. It's verse 69, where the Lord says, Lift up your hearts and rejoice, for unto you the kingdom, or in other words, the keys of the church, have been given. And that phrase has been repeated over the past couple of sections, that the kingdom is currently given to you. It's not something you're waiting for, it's here. But the commandment to lift up your hearts and rejoice is one that stood out to me. Um, I think it's very easy in the world that we live in, cynicism uh, and critical thinking are uh, extolled as virtues. And I believe that there is power in thinking critically and in viewing and finding faults and trying to overcome them, but it can be overwhelming. Um, And I think the Lord's desired approach to life is to lift up our hearts and rejoice 
Not that we ignore the difficulties or the trials that we've been through, but that we also, in the same breath, recognize the blessings and the healings that have come. And to lift up our voice and talk openly about the things that are good and the things that we rejoice in. And uh, I think for our current day, that might be a commandment that we are all much in need of and one that we can obey to great benefit. I've heard that cynicism referred to as that it's full of gravity. It's that gravity principle where it just can quickly, very quickly pull you down. Whereas the opposite of lifting up your heart can sometimes take a lot of work to, to build up to if you're trying to think positively. Um, but I think that we're reminded in these that God wants us to do that, like you said, Zach, and that he can help us to, um, defy the gravity so that we can lift up our hearts and rejoice in these things. Now, I probably need to change it because I said at the very beginning that it was when I sang to Hamilton, because I was getting so excited about singing, that it was our new Ten Commandments. Okay, that's not true. We went through, we pulled out these ten things that we thought were most pertinent or maybe stuck out to us because it was something that meant something to us. We hope that this week, as you look through these chapters and verses, that you'll be able to find things that speak to you, that remind you what God wants you to be to be doing in your life and how he can help you do the, and accomplish great things. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. You guys, we finally have a few things up on our website. We are moving forward with our Doctrine and Covenants study record. We've got a few great study helps for the Doctrine and Covenants this year. And so we'll talk more about those next week, but I just wanted to give you a heads up. We'll be um, freshening up our website as well as getting a few of those things out on Instagram so you can see what we have. And we'll talk more about those next week, but just wanted to let you know to check that out if you are interested. Um, Thank you so much again. I hope you have a great week. Thank you.